leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity Leadership, where we talk to different cybersecurity leaders about what we could do to develop the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. Today, we have with us Brad Rager, who will be sharing about recruiting the next level of cybersecurity professionals. And I'll let him introduce himself. Brad. You want to introduce yourself to the crowd? Sure. Hey, thanks for having me on, Chris. Great to be here. So, yeah, I uh, I run a startup recruiting business called Crux. We are building the first talent platform for cybersecurity. So you can think about us as both a traditional cybersecurity recruiting business and a marketplace. So if you hop on Crux, you'll be able to see uh, the first version of our talent marketplace. I got started in cybersecurity from the business side about five years ago when I joined Optiv, where I ran corporate strategy and was CMO for a few years as well. So it gave me firsthand way to view some of the challenges and opportunities in this space. And it, it led me to where I am today. So speaking of some of the challenges and opportunities, what were some of the challenges and opportunities that you first saw that you now wanted to tackle on your own? I think the first thing to keep into perspective and the reason there are so many people that want to be in cybersecurity is it's a field that is most industries go through this S curve and we're still in the really early stages of cybersecurity as more data uh, moves online, as more of the company's value is in their IP, their data and their assets, the criticality of security is only going to increase, right? And we operate in this world where it's this cat and mouse game. You constantly have an adversary that's trying to best the defenses. So it means that the economic importance and the risk associated with the risk of poor cybersecurity hygiene, but the economic value of protecting a company's assets and data is only going to be more important. And it requires innovation. It requires new talent. It requires creative thinking, and it's going to be driving growth for the foreseeable future. So as an industry, it's an amazing and dynamic industry to be in. That also means there's lots of challenges and things to figure out along the way, right? So I think we as an industry have had so much coming at us. Oftentimes it's been hard to do things like build training and development programs for companies to bring people into and build people's cybersecurity skills up. We have just an incredible amount of technologies that are out there 
companies really struggle to integrate those technologies and bring them together and fuse kind of the people dimension and the technology dimension. I saw a lot of that when I was at Optive. And one thing that I heard from folks that I work with, CISOs and practitioners, was that a lot of the pain points that they had and a lot of the things that just weren't getting done from a security program standpoint wasn't because they didn't have the tools. It was because they didn't have the people to run the tools and um, follow the processes and frankly, in many cases, build the processes, a robust cybersecurity program. So we, we have a significant people challenge in this industry. And my goal was to bring some fresh approaches to help customers solve, clients solve those people challenges and help us as an industry bring more people into cybersecurity. So as, as a country, as an economy, and, and this is civilization, we can be secure in what we do online and with our businesses. Now you said a whole lot there. Let's talk about how, how you do things different. So you mentioned preparing the talent for all these new technologies. What are some of the things that you're doing on the front end to help prepare for that? I, I'm going to go to one of my pet peeves in this industry, which is the way job descriptions are written. And there are so many job descriptions that say, hey, I've got an identity access management engineering role and they need to have eight years of Forge Rock experience, right? And I don't know how many years Forge Rock has been around, but it's probably something around eight years, right? I think there's a lot of unrealistic expectations where people are only looking for folks that have X number of years experience with technology X, Y, and Z. But the irony of all of this is while those job descriptions are everywhere that you look online, most hiring managers, when you sit down and talk to them, would say something along the lines of, actually, what I really need is somebody who understands the principles of IAM, has a good degree of engineering experience, is a great problem solver, is hardworking, and is if maybe they know Ping, maybe they know Okta, maybe they know Savient. But that's okay. We can teach them the ins and outs of this particular tool. That's not a problem, right? And it's why don't you write your job descriptions that way? So I draw uh, a few categories. And as you think about fitting somebody with a role, you want to balance things across these categories. One is what's their kind of core innate, what are they good at? Are they good problem solvers? Are they good communicators? Do they learn well? Do they learn quickly? What are they interested in doing? The second is what do they know? What's their kind of knowledge base and domain expertise, which can be associated with the experiences that they've had and what they've done. And then the third set is, what are the teachable things on the job? And in my mind, there's many technologies, specific technologies can fall into things that are teachable if you give somebody training and time to do it. And there's levels and degrees to that, right? You're not going to teach somebody cloud infrastructure in, in three months or a month on the job, but can they move from... AWS to GCP may not be the easiest thing in the world, but yeah, probably most people can do that, right? If they under, understand the underlying skills. So I think there's a degree of flexibility and thinking that we as an industry need to introduce into our hiring processes. Really look more at people's skills and not rely so heavily on how many boxes of technologies can I check on the job. And that, that seems like a really hard challenge because you have to convince hiring managers that they have to go away from this checkbox 
certification degree thing to going to, hey, these people have skills and the skills are that they know how to run foundational cloud technology. They know how to run foundational identity and access management technology. And they just need to learn this new one that this employer has. How do you get them out of that safety net to be able to open themselves up to hire this true talent? Yeah. Yeah. I think the first thing hiring managers want is somebody who's done this job before somewhere else, right? That tends to be the easy button request that you'll often get. I, I actually think what happens in the job description creation process is a little bit more laziness than it is malicious thinking, right? Or not flexible thinking. Because so often what happens is you don't actually find the humans that check all of the boxes in that job description. When there's team things in the required column and the compensation is maybe at or below average for the level, somebody ends up finding that job or getting in that job. That's person who finds their way in there probably didn't check all of those boxes. So it's a fallacy to think that there are all of these people that are landing in these jobs that check all those boxes. That's not happening today anyways. The question is, are you going to do that on the back end of the hiring process in kind of a haphazard way? Because it's taken four months, but then we finally went back to the well and we found this person and okay, they're good enough. Or are you going to do it at the front end and not find somebody who's good enough, but think strategically about a combination of what people are going to be able to do out of the gate and the potential that they have to bring into the equation. So from my experience, it's, it's not necessarily been particularly a contentious conversation. It just requires a little bit more thinking up front as to the problem you're really trying to solve and what truly is critical to have in that person. From my perspective, there, there seems to be two problems. One, forcing the site, the hiring managers to be able to think strategically. And then for you, Brad, having them to do that at scale so that you can hire at scale uh, and help them do those hires at scale. How do you do that? Where we haven't reached scale yet. So you'll have to ask to be nine months or eight year, Chris. But the concept that I go to is identification of people's skills, both technical skills and non-technical skills. And if you can change the conversation from, I want somebody who has done X, Y, Z for two years, five years, seven years, eight years, to I want somebody who knows and understands X, Y, and Z to a certain level of depth and brings to the table interpersonal communication skills, critical thinking, they're highly analytical. They have a passion for understanding how things work and breaking it apart. Whatever those things are, if you can reduce the conversation to that level, you will find better matches between people and the jobs that are out there to be filled. So it's just changing the conversation a bit and taking it down to the idea of skills and saying, are there ways of assessing skills that are a little bit more thoughtful than, yeah, you say you did that before, so you must be good at it, right? Because that, that oftentimes isn't actually the case, right? And to think about which skills are teachable and which ones are 
And how do you help managers with determining which skills are teachable and which skills are not teachable so that they can help find those nuggets in a haystack in a resume? Yeah, I think that on the technical side, there are great programs and pathways out there and certifications to take a, a base level of knowledge up to more advanced sets of knowledge, right? So you can think about pick your domain of cybersecurity. There's sort of the 101, 102, 103, 105 version. And there's learning both that happens and can happen through certifications and coursework and online programs and study. And there's work that happens on the job. Most people learn best on the job. So the question is on the technical side, what's the level of proficiency and depth that you need? And what can they learn on the job? And what training resources can you surround that person with to get to the level that you want, right? So you think about pen testing, rather than saying, I need somebody who has five years of pen testing experience, let's, let's see where they are on some of the tools that are out there and, and boards that are out there and how they're doing. And oftentimes most pen test hiring managers are pretty good at assessing their kind of technical depth and knowledge. And then you pair that with the things that make great pen testers and you can assess those personality attributes, right? Do they have a strong technical inclination? Do they have a passion to break things down and understand how things work, right? Don't give me a job description that requires that they have a bachelor's degree. Let's get rid of that right out of the gate. But let's look at the innate personality characteristics that tend to fit well with that role. If you have somebody that doesn't demonstrate that through their passions, their history, their actually their communication, it's probably less likely that they're going to grow into that path that sort of fits well with a certain type of personality, if that makes sense. I do think there are things in general that are more coachable and more capable of developing than things that are not, right? You, it's difficult to take somebody who just doesn't have a lot of curiosity and make them a curious person. <laughs> For instance, that those are the kind of things you really want to talk to. You brought up how, how do you test for curiosity or how do you pull curiosity out of a, a candidate during a conversation? Yeah. And there's, with anything, there's multiple ways to get at it. There's one method, which is a little bit more quantifiable. So we use personality inventories and assessments that give a general dynamic of, hey, does, where does this person fall on? Introversion, extroversion, where do they fall on? Somebody who loves to go by the rules versus break the rules. There's a bunch of different elements to that. So you can get one read from personality assessments, but you can't necessarily take that as gospel, so to speak. Then you really get at it through conversation. So if you're testing for curiosity and if you're testing for somebody who really wants to understand the guts of things, then you ask them what their passions are. You ask them what they're interested in. You ask them what they do in their spare time. That's when hobbies actually are very relevant. You look and see if they have a, a portfolio, if you will, of, of things that they've done to demonstrate that passion and that interest. And just that simple idea of a passion around a given area, that can take you miles, right? Most good hiring managers that I know, many of them will look for that as their first and foremost thing and say, if I can find somebody who 
is hungry and curious and eager to learn and spends their time building their own knowledge in this space, rather than somebody who's just looking for a paycheck or saying, hey, I'm getting in this field because I hear there's a lot of money to be made. Most people are looking for that person that really loves the topic and is hungry and is putting themselves out in that community. And by the way, that's like the best way to get a job too, because it is tough in this current market to just click through job boards and apply to jobs. If you have a passion around a given topic, if you put yourself into that community of interest, if you engage and contribute, not only does that help build your knowledge base, but it gives you opportunity to meet people. And some of those people might need to hire somebody or know somebody that might need to hire somebody. So it positions you really well for finding a job too in this current market. How do you test for that drive that someone that's really hungry versus someone that is just looking for it on paper? What sort of off-screen tests or questions do you drive into to find those answers? Yeah, drive is something that is a little bit more difficult to measure through an assessment or a test. In my mind, you really dig into, it starts with something as simple as, tell me why you want to go into the space or tell me about your career path. Tell me about the decisions that you've made and the choices that you've made along the way. And then you can dig into it and ask why questions underneath that. And what you're trying to get at is what is the motivation and the driver and an individual's level of self-awareness in their journey of self-discovery, right? I don't expect everybody, and I think it's just human nature to, people don't always know exactly what they want to do. And I think that's fine. To me, what matters more almost is, are you actively part of a journey of self-discovery where you are trying things and you are finding things that you love and that you're good at, and then you're doubling down in those areas, right? And if you can form a story and demonstrate that with things that you've done or things that you've learned or where you're spending your time in those areas that you love, that's great. Right. So to me, that comes out through storytelling and through unpacking a person's career path, decision making, and the the things that they do to build their own career. Any frameworks that you would recommend for candidates to use to really be able to pull that out? That's a great question. I don't think I have any frameworks offhand that when we kind of classify folks by their areas of expertise within cybersecurity, we'll use the NICE framework, which is a great framework, but it has, I think, 140 different job types. So in some ways, it's almost too detailed, but you can roll that up to the major domains or disciplines within security, GRC, pen testing, IR, cloud security, AppStack, things like that. And that kind of, to me, sits at the level of a good spot where you can really drive domain expertise. It in many ways aligns with a lot of the certifications that are out there, but I think it's also okay to build skills across domains, not just within domains, because the more senior you have this kind of paradox, right? As a junior person or a person in a smaller company, as a security expert, you're going to be doing everything, right? Or a lot of different things. You go to a big company as a junior person, you may be very specialized. 
then as you get more senior, once again, you really have to have a generalist perspective on security and be able to operate across domains, identify relative risk in various domains and work across the business to make sure that security hygiene is embedded across all the stakeholders in the company. So moving across domains and disciplines and building generalist knowledge and, you know, CISSP type broad knowledge of security, that's great too. What, what I would ask uh, an individual is where do they feel comfortable? What do they want to do? Do you, are you a person that wants to go super deep and build really a strong domain expertise in one particular area and bring that potentially to multiple companies over the course of your career? Or are you a person who likes to see things from a bigger picture, operate at a more strategic level, or build a lot of variety and build uh, just a really strong set of experiences across things? There's a need for both types of people, but I would encourage somebody to think about who they are and what makes them tick and what do they enjoy doing, and then it build career experiences um, that align with that philosophy or that approach. Yeah, well, one of the, the frameworks that I was to was yeah. like the star format with situation, task, action, reaction, to try to pull out what exactly they did within a situation. And I, I know that's a, a great one, but there's others. Yeah. To your point, I think that when you're going through somebody's experience in the background, you, you can't just be content to take a thing at face value. I like to dig in and say, all right, what was the context? What was the problem you were trying to solve? That question can get to ability to see context and bigger picture and strategic thinking. And then to understand as part of the team or as an individual, what did you do? What did you contribute? What value did you bring to the table? Because let's be honest, people will embellish on their resumes and oftentimes a lot of team accomplishments get it tasks is an individual accomplishment. So you're also trying to assess for that and really understand how did you contribute within this team? What did you bring to the table? And we know that it's, it's always a team game, but you have to, you have to dig in to, to really understand that. And it doesn't always pop out on a resume. That's a good framework. Now, for those that don't understand the difference between recruiters, hiring managers, internal recruiters, sourcers, things like that. Would you want to describe how they're structured and how they might be different? Yeah, absolutely. A recruiter tends to be the person on the front end who is bringing a person into a situation or an opportunity. There are external recruiters and there are internal recruiters. External recruiters are engaged by a company to find uh, talent on their behalf. That could be contract talent. It could be full-time talent. It depends on the nature of the opportunity, but you're basically acting as a representative or an agent for that company, and you're trying to find somebody who's a great match. Companies will look to external folks because they can bring a network, they can bring particular domain expertise. Really, from a hiring manager's perspective, they want help finding great people and finding them quickly. So that's the value proposition of an external recruiter. Internal recruiters work on behalf of a company. What you tend to find in our industry is that the quality and the strength of those internal recruiters, whether they really understand the job to be done will vary. And it tends to vary where if the company is a cybersecurity company, a tech company or a cybersecurity services company, typically those recruiters have a pretty good understanding of the job and the job to be done. And they can represent that well when talking to a candidate. 
speed enterprise, that's often tougher because you may have a food manufacturing company or an aerospace company or a hospital hiring a cybersecurity person. And that's where the conversations can get a little bit challenging because that recruiter will struggle to play the translation layer between the candidates and the hiring managers. And so in, in my line of business, we mostly work with enterprises to help solve that gap and bring that expertise into the hiring equation. But then really the decision-making at the end of the day is with the hiring manager, because that's going to be the person who is the boss and who is building the team. And so I think a good recruiter works both ways. They work with the hiring manager, the front end of our conversation, Chris, to say, what's the problem you're trying to solve? What are the skills that you really need? What's the type of person who's going to be really successful, not just in this role, but in this company? Who, what's the culture like? And then you can go out and you may know that person who would be a great fit already within your network, or you can help find that person on behalf of a client. And that's really the job of the and with regards to your experience of how efficient one is in each of those roles, I know that each serve their own purpose, but if I were a client, would I look out for those external recruiters, those internal recruiters? Who do I try to reach out to if I'm doing an outbound campaign looking for a, a recruiter that might be able to fill a spot that I'm looking to fill. Yeah. Uh, great question. I think if you're a hiring manager and you've got a great recruiting team internally in your company, that's fantastic. Right. And that's going to be the most cost efficient route from an individual hire basis. Most of the time, if you've got a good recruiter. Now, if you're struggling to find people, actually not having good recruiting capabilities can be very costly because the cost of a bad hire is really high. You think about uh, the time that is lost getting the work done or the cultural issues that, that happen when you make a hiring mistake. That's really the value proposition of having a good recruiter. So I think it starts with an assessment of, do I know people in network? How long, how hard will this be to find a great person for our team? And then from there, you want to think about, okay, if the principal criteria are finding a great person and finding them quickly, you, you want to go with companies or recruiters that understand the space, understand the nature of the job to be done. We'll take the time to work with you and understand exactly what you're looking for and what you need so that you don't have to spend a lot of time saying, yes, this person meets this, no, this person doesn't. And that's where I think our industry there's a lot of recruiters out there that look at this very transactionally and they'll say, give me a job description and I will go spam a thousand people on LinkedIn and try and check as many of these boxes as possible. Then I'll flip it back over to you. To me, that's totally, totally the wrong framework. This is about people and this is about relationships. And there are there's brand to be built on both sides, right? As a recruiter, the best thing you can do for a client is help them with their people strategy, help them find great people. And the best thing you can do for candidates is help them find a place that they're going to thrive and grow and that is in line with what they want. So I think you got to take a long-term perspective as you think about those relationships. And that's why the, the quality of the experience on both sides really matters. And, and the poor behavior around Hosting 
and stuff like that. It, it just, it gives our industry a bad name and it, it's a shame that it happens, right? We shouldn't treat folks like numbers. Everybody's special. Everybody's individual. And it's our job to get to know people. And as we wrap up, any final advice you would give to candidates that are hunting for a role in this job market? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think this job market is the most challenging that the cybersecurity job market has been, at least in the past five to 10 years, where you used to see jobs going up that would get five applicants. Now the same job is going to get 100 or 150. So it's a challenging market. And what I've seen is, is a number of people that have been able to go from job to job in the past. Maybe they got recruited out of a company and now they're saying, okay, I've got to go do this job search and I've almost got to run it like a job. And we posted a, a few blogs on my website recently just to give some tactical guidance around this. But the best thing I would say is, and this sounds cliche, but it really is true. Network is super important, but there is a methodology that you can apply towards leaning on your network and growing your network in such a way that it is maximally likely to help you land a job that you like. And that really involves engaging people that you know, having a very crisp story on what you want to do so you can help people help you. And then people make introductions. And so if you go into the process with a really crisp narrative on what you're good at, what you want to do, and you understand the types of companies or specific companies that you would want to work at, you can build a network and help find your way to, to get to meet people that are inside those companies or that are likely to be hiring managers. And then just knowing somebody totally flips the odds of you being able to get an interview. And then from there, run process and, and do what you're good at and trying to bring out your strengths. But that's the challenge that so many people are having is they're dropping applications online. They're getting rejections. They don't understand why it's happening over and over again, even for jobs they're qualified with. So in this market, if you're seeking and you're hunting, it does require that extra above and beyond effort to build network and get referred into those jobs. Well, Brad, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your tips and tricks. Really appreciate it. We'll definitely have you back on again in the near future, and maybe we'll have some of your success candidates come on and share their journey and share awesome. their Brad experience getting through this market. But all thank you for joining. Thank you for all the questions and comments. We really appreciate it. Feel free to share this with others that might be interested because that's the whole point of these episodes is to share it with those that are also looking to break in and are looking to learn from the tips and tricks of individuals like Brad. Thanks so much, Chris. Great chat with you. Thank you all. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.